2: This podcast is brought to you by Tethered. Now with deer seasons winding down, it is a great time to take the plunge into saddle hunting, especially if you've been considering it. Maybe you've just wanted to try out the gear before you made a purchase. So with that, our friends at Tethered are always coming up with ways to help saddle hunters. And this year, they're doing the Tethered Teach and Train Tour, and it's hitting 20 different cities. And the session is 100% free to attend, where you'll be able to try out all their gear. So here's what's happening, or what is also included in the event. There's a free lunch or dinner, depending on the time of the event, all their saddle hunting gear will be in one place. So you can test absolutely everything that they have. And then there's going to be lots of giveaways and freebies. There's event-only pricing and discounts on tethered gear. And then there's insider access on some gear. So you'll get a sneak peek as to some of the things that are yet to be, uh, to be released. And then there'll also, of course, be saddle hunting experts there available to answer any of your questions while you're hanging and trying out the different gear. So head over to tetherednation.com and check out the Teach and Train Tour page to see the list of cities and dates. Uh, I'm planning to be at the event on May 28th through the 31st at the Seven Springs tax shoot. So I hope to see you all there. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skullbrew Coffee, as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to skullbrewcoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth from a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 166. Today, we are diving into another DIY Report Look Back series with my good friend, the Bow Hunting Fiend. So stay tuned. what is going on out there happy wednesday to you hope you're feeling well hope you are feeling fine i'm having a hard time here i'm uh a little burned out gonna be honest with you man it's uh it's sunday this has kind of been the the norm here lately i've been doing these on sundays because i've been spending saturdays uh out scouting and this weekend was was no different had a had a trip plan that i had been looking forward to um it was a, a trip to a place that I've hunted in the past um, It's a, at an undisclosed location, might we say, um, that I'm planning to head back to this year. And went down to put some boots on the ground, maybe try to find a few new setups, a few new areas, um, check some cameras, and uh, was not disappointed. There are some... There are some big deer um, that have made it uh, this year, and um, in a couple different locations. And uh, this season is looking, at least in that particular area, is looking is looking promising. So, you know, the settings, big woods, um, and I won't belabor the 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 points here necessarily. Um, you know, there's a there's a podcast that uh, that I did with uh, Chad and the and, and and Cameron and our buddy Ryan, uh, Chad and those guys from Exodus. Uh, that they'll be putting out on their trail cam radio <clears throat> here in the next couple weeks that we talk about what we had seen and what we had gotten into. So you can listen to that or kind of the full rundown of what happened over the course of this weekend. but the short the, the short story version of it is that we headed to this uh, this piece of big this piece of big woods, um, put in sixteen miles ish over the course of two days, covered a lot of ground. It was really cool to be able to do it with four you know, be able to scout this area with four guys because it's it's a really hard task for one person and, and even two people to tackle just because the terrain's pretty rugged. Um, the ridges are steep. It's nasty. Um, there's a lot of hell holes that you kind of get dropped into that you have to eventually find your way out of. Um, and maybe the sign was good. Maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, some of the stuff that we cover in the podcast when we kind of talk about the, the scouting and what we had seen and so forth is just in these settings how – How the nuance of things and the subtlety of the sign that you find is is key and picking up on that stuff is um, will make or break your setups and your hunts and your understanding of the overall um, of the overall piece that you're that that you're hunting and and particularly in this regard so there are big deer when i say there are big deer um you know in some instances we're talking world-class type of type of animals and you're not finding the sign that you would um, expect in these places you know you would i've seen bigger rubs and some of the the public that i uh, scout in Pennsylvania that I had seen in this place. And I, and I, and I promise you that there aren't any deer, the size or the caliber that we had, um, on camera in, in this particular piece of big woods. Um, uh, I don't have those in PA. Let's just put it that way on the pieces that I'm hunting and then I'm scouting and I'm finding bigger sign in those areas, but the cameras don't lie. Um, you know, they have been out soaking for a better part of the year. And, um, you know, what we had on there was, was, um uh, was pretty killer, um, which I think you know. Talking about you know reading and sign and 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 kind of scouting and, and and understanding your setups, I think that that ties in nicely into today's DIY report uh, that we're doing here. So just for those of you that might be new to the podcast, this uh, DIY report thing that we do is a you know shorter versions of the podcast that I like to do, where we take maybe some you know concepts or ideas that maybe you are helpful to kind of learn in smaller chunks that way you can build upon them as you kind of go. And that's what the goal of this is. And this this particular series is the Look Back series. This is something that the hunting Fiend, Greg Litzinger, and I kind of came up with together. And it was, you know, we thought, hey, there's we've had a bunch of guests on to this point. We've done now, at this point, like 165, I think this is 166 podcasts that we've done with a bunch of great guests that have dropped a ton of great knowledge. And so it would be worthwhile to come go back and kind of take some bits and pieces of podcasts that we found that were really interesting. Really, Greg kind of went back through and found kind of clips that he liked where someone said something that really caught his attention. And so what we do is we take those clips, um, you know, I kind of set them up for you uh, with a little prelude to kind of give you a sense of what that clip is going to talk about. We then play that clip from that guest. So in this particular episode, all three clips that we'll kind of dissect are from Dan Enfold. And uh, and then Greg and I, after the, we hear the clip, kind of discuss how we've, you know, either used that particular tactic, how we may have had to adapt it, if we've had similar experiences, different experiences, and what our thoughts are on that particular piece of advice. Um, it's made for some cool episodes in the past. If you've not listened to some of them in the past, I think if you go back to like the the one thirties of podcast, I think that that's where some of those other um, look back series episodes are at. So uh, with today's episode, like I mentioned. We're covering three different clips uh, from uh, our good friend, Dan Enfault, that's been on the show a couple different times with us. Um, And this was from, I think, podcast episode number 16. So if you're interested to go back and listen to that, Dan drops a ton of great knowledge in that. That's where these clips are from. So if you want to hear the full version, you can check that podcast out. However, the three clips that we're going to focus on really is... The first idea is water is cover, um, which is really kind of interesting because you know Greg and I had scouted in the podcast. He and I dropped together from last week. There's an area where you know there is water. There is a lake, and I might have to have some water access to really get in it. And it's really what's probably going to keep that part kind of prime and 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 huntable, if you will, because it's not far off of a uh, off of a road or, or or far off the gravel that people could you know really get to it if they really really wanted to. So. One is water as access. The other one is really kind of, you know, when you walk into a piece of land, you know, and really we what we talk a lot about, you know, is, is public land that, you know, some of these pieces and they may be even be sizable, but you really may only have one or two setups um, on them and then you shouldn't really kind of beat yourself up You're trying to tear things apart and find more or create more setups than are really naturally available to you. Um, you know, don't work marginal setups, you know, look for really, really good setups. And if that piece of land really only has or that property or that parcel only has one, maybe two good setups, then you should hit those and you should move on. And that's the second thing that we talk about in this particular uh, session. And the third thing we're talking about, I actually just kind of forgot what it was that we were talking about in the the third one. So I'm going to have to grab my notes. We're doing this live here, folks. I'm going to grab my notes here real quick and try to remember what it was we were talking about on the third one and it is pause for a moment please it is oh yeah off wind so the the third thing that we're going to talk about and cover is hunting the just off the wind off wind you, you hear people talk about it a lot um and you know it means different things to different people and uh greg and i kind of discussed that what we what it means to us how we implement that and you know how we've used it you know in my case i used it and I'll, i talked about it a little bit in this episode how i used it in, in, in iowa to to kill that deer so with that we'll go ahead and get to the episode but first as always i want to thank you all for listening all right folks welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast today we are jumping into another round of the look-back series that I did with Mr. 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 Greg Litzinger. Um, if you don't recall, uh, or if you didn't listen to, I think it was around podcast 132 through to like 137. We did a couple of them. Uh, this is part of the DIY Report mini-series that I do. Um, the ones we did previously, you know, just to kind of give you guys a reminder of, of how these kind of work, is uh, what Greg did. He did some homework, and he actually went back through and listened to a ton of podcasts that we had done over the course of, you know, the three full years that we've been going strong, because this is us going into our fourth year this year.
3: Pro bono, by the way. Bono. Yeah, pro bono.
2: Yeah, he, he was not paid for yeah. any of this. <laughs> um, You know, uh, as, as kind of like a celebration, You know, we've had a lot of great guests on uh, talking about a lot of different <clears> stuff <throat> that, you know, myself and i'm sure a lot of you out there listening have been able to take bits and pieces from to add to our hunting tactics and strategies and help make us better better hunters overall and so kind of as a celebration you know greg and i had this idea of like there you go sing it greg (laughs) we had this idea that you know maybe we should go back for everybody we thought maybe we should go back and look at some of the different episodes that we did um where we had you know interesting conversations or brought up different topics that were interesting and revisit them and kind of uh, diagnose them, analyze them, talk about how we've used it in the past or how we might use it going forward and just, you know, give a little bit more attention to some of those more specific kind of finer points of strategies that we, that we wanted to touch on. So that's what we're going to do uh, today in this session. So what we'll do here as far as the format goes is I'll kind of introduce what the clip is um, or what we're going to talk about, and then we will actually play a clip from a previous podcast. And then once that clip ends, Greg and I will then talk about it, analyze it, and about how we maybe have used it or what we've taken. You know, it might be something that we've learned from that particular clip that we, that we end up talking about. So that'll be the format for this. And on this first one is actually from, you know, a guy that we all know and love, Dan Enfault and what he's actually talking about is something Greg and I covered on our scouting podcast that we talked about, um, is actually using water as cover. So we'll listen to Dan's clip and then we'll dissect.
1: Now if I'm looking at swampland or, or farmland or, or whatever, like around my home area, kind of flat, a little bit of roll to it. It's mostly farming. I'm looking for wet stuff. There's a lot of hunting pressure here. So I'm looking for wet stuff because the bucks are going to use water for cover. And I'm looking for dense swamps and stuff. And another reason for that is all the gun hunters will do drives. They'll do pushes. Um, they'll cover every inch of dry land and they'll kill everything. You know, when you look around my area um, where I live, we've got a lot of hunting pressure here, probably the most in the state. And you can drive around on opening day and you see orange everywhere. But where you don't see it is out in those, those cattail marshes in the water or in the swamps. And those bucks gravitate to there. And I'm going out into those spots where nobody wants to go.
2: All right. So what Dan was talking about there was using water as cover in a lot of different ways. He, of course, is in Wisconsin. Dan is well known for hunting a lot of different type of, you know, terrain, but, you know, maybe best known for his ability to hunt swamps and marshes and stuff like that. And Greg hunts a ton of that, uh, those types of areas, And then this last scout that we did, we actually found a piece that was similar to that, that we had talked about previously about, you know, access and how you might want to scout it, how you might want to use it. So, you know, I'm a noob when it comes to, when it comes to swamp hunting and and stuff like that. And I've started kind of seeing how deer are using water for cover. I won't say I have a complete handle on it. It's something I'm still kind of learning and figuring out, but I know you hunt a ton of, of wet ground, right? So... Talk about, I guess, like, how you've seen deer use water as cover and how you kind of maneuver around that aspect.
3: For years, I mean, when I first started hunting, that's pretty much all we hunted, canoe hunted. My dad was a big canoe hunter, so I just had a lot of time (laughs) hunting around water, and deer will use it, you know, to stop uh, humans from getting getting close to them. Uh, if you have a bottle of, body of water, just say you know a a a creek that's a ditch that's ten foot wide, ninety nine percent of humans are going to be like, I'm good, and they're gonna stop at that point. Deer know that they can smell it, they can sense it, and they will use those you know you know water to their advantage mm-hmm. in areas with you know coyotes, coyotes, coyote, coyote eats, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> coyotes. Uh, or any type of, like, predatory animals, it, water will stop a lot of animals. You know, a, a good body of water will stop, right. you know, humans, predators from getting said deer. Right. You know, so they're not dumb. You know, water, it's protection, it's safety. And usually whether it's water or some type of food, mm-hmm. you know, there's good cover, there's, you know, browse, a lot of other things that deer need to survive and, and you know, thrive, mm-hmm. you know, That, Mm. no, let me backtrack a little bit. Water equals safety, plain and simple. It's food cover safety, so use it, take it from that, you know, aspect. Water will equal safety. You have a a lake, you have main body, lake, creeks. If humans got to cross it, it requires effort and time. Deer know that they're not going to, you know, for the most part, put in that much work. Right, so.
2: There's one thing that I, the one way I look at it too is two two ways. One might be like a really novice way to look at it, but <clears throat> if there's a fair amount of water or a decent amount, enough of water in a particular area that someone has to cross or whatever. Let's take, for example, the lake that we were scouting around the, the, the other day um, and uh, where we think that there might have been bucks bedding out on some of those islands that weren't. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like they were 100 yards out in the middle yeah. of this lake. It was like 50 25, yard. yeah. 50 yards out, you know, and like you said, it, it's really, it's not a lake, quote-unquote, it's really just a low-lying area that's probably not all that deep, yes. right, but just deep enough, you yeah. know what yeah. I mean?
3: Rubber boots ain't going to cut it. Right. And deer know that because they're going to come up to their chest and their humans aren't going out there on a regular, consistent basis. Right.
2: But we saw trails running into yes. it, so it's not like those showed up for no reason, yes. right? The other thing, the way I look at water too, is like if you've ever walked through it in a pair of rubber boots, what does it sound like? Yes. So before you ever, before a predator would ever even get close to them, they're going to hear it far before they will ever see it. And even if the predator has the wind in their face, be it human or otherwise, they're going to hear you before they smell you, like way beforehand. Mm -hmm. Right. so that's the one thing I kind of think of is just like the sound aspect of it, right? Because it's like, how hard is it to sneak whenever you're in a wet area? It's like, all, you almost want to give up because yeah. you're like, I can't hunt this. Like, I'll never get, I can't even get in quiet, right? Mm-hmm. The other part that I kind of think of too is that when water, when there's water there, you mentioned it with food, it's just like it it seems to always naturally create a, di- a diversity of habitats. Yes. As brows. An yeah.
3: Uh, and in pressure areas, Where deer will seek out water. Yes. Where deer will seek out water, you know, for cover. There's just browse. They don't need to leave said area until long after dark when humans are, you know, Mm -hmm. long since taking their flashlights and going home.
2: Right. Yeah. So I think the important thing to take away when we're talking about, when we're talking about water is like, you know, safety, number one, right? Mm -hmm. It provides a diversity of habitat to where they can eat. Drink, drink, sleep, be merry. be merry in that particular area, and have no need or desire to leave that that spot until they know it is a hundred percent safe. And yeah. then it's just a barrier from anything being able to get to them. It's like it's almost the ultimate booby trap, yep. right? It's you
3: and know, you got the thermal pool with water, you know, low lying areas. The sense usually in the evening getting pulled down to them. You know, bucks know that, right? You know, I think even Dan talked about that finding the balloons. You mm-hmm. know the woods, you because know, thermals and everything that go to the coldest spot, and you find right. a lot of balloons in the area. Odds are you'll find buck sign right in that area,
2: which is the balloon phenomenon that happens yeah. every year yeah. around this time when yeah. people are scouting. Yeah. It's like, I found a balloon; it's yeah. a buck bag. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, I found a bunch of balloons last year. I did not see one single buck in those areas, yeah. <laughs> but I did. Oddly enough, I did find some decent rubs in mm. those general in yeah. those general areas. Um, you know, so I I just think like more the more you know i i've mentioned this in the past like hunting swamps and marshes and stuff like that is relatively new for me growing up in like the more western part of pennsylvania and that being like where i grew up hunting is more like ridges and you know hill country and stuff like that and so it's taken me a little while to to actually get used to and like um swamp hunting or in in, in wetland hunting bugs there's also bugs which i can't stand but but the one thing i will say is that in some ways Hunting water or swamp areas is easier in some ways. I think I think the wind and the thermals are trickier, yes. right? You got to you got to watch your ass with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think figuring out where they're at is a lot easier, yes, right? Because it's there's so much edge edge that's created. If you don't know where to start, just walk the edge because you're going to definitively see where that's at. Yep. and because it's kind of wet you're going to definitively see like the tracks yes and it's going to tell you like where they're spending time and so now you've kind of narrowed down where you need to focus your energy looking mm-hmm. right
3: because uh, they'll just walk just outside of the water's edge yeah which is what we saw when we were yeah.
2: yeah I mean it was it was literally just outside the water j- edge is mm-hmm. where we found all that sign and and then we found the trail that was looked yep. like it was going out to the one group of trees that was 30 whatever yards off yeah. the off the side or out into the middle of the water, where we're like, that's probably where they're bedded. Yep. You know? <laughs> so um, anything else to add with water for cover? Or are we
3: pretty good on that? No, Water's fun.
2: Water's fun. Get wet,
3: folks. Yes. Testies. <laughs> All
2: right, this next session here, this next clip, is with our buddy Dan Enfalt again. Um, this one he's talking a little bit about, he's referencing hill, hill country a little bit in this one, um, but what he's really kind of getting to is how to take a piece of land be it public or private but in this instance he's really kind of referencing public um in starting to cross out anywhere that doesn't look like it's going to be suitable to hunt just from a access perspective how easily can people get there and then quickly being able to get to a point to where when you look at a piece when you cross off all the folks who or the access that people might have to get to the easiest places it really only leaves you with a handful of places that you could possibly set up that you then verify so we'll we'll listen to this clip and then we will talk about
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDSC. Like ten percent of the hilly stuff I find I, I hunt has a spot like that where it's right next to the road and they're overlooking, watching the guys in the parking lot. You know? Um a lot of times if you if you can go in and then hook back around, a lot of times there's stuff up against the border of the road where you can't access from the road from that area. You know, and really what you gotta do with a property like that is take a look at it and like look at the aerial of the of topo the and say, okay, where does everybody hunt? Okay. And you, you cross out 80% of that map and you got 20% left. And now you say, what has suitable habitat for deer to be bedded there? And now you really got one or two spots and really most of my public land stuff on the hilly stuff, usually each property has one or two spots I'll hunt and then I'm off to a different property where another guy might dwell on a property and hunt all over that one property. And a lot of it's wasted hunts. You know know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm seeking out the one spot that'll hold a mature buck there, you
2: know? All right. So that was the clip again, Dan talking about finding those one or two spots and, you know, It could be larger areas or smaller areas or whatever the case might be. And it's funny, like we can reference the podcast previously that Greg and I did talking about the scout that we did together because we exactly used this approach. It's like we looked at the map, we figured out like here are all the places people are likely to be. The one place that we looked at that we thought maybe easier to access but probably wouldn't have a lot of folks was like on the backside of that lake, right, And, and looked at that. And then there were two other big clear cuts that we wanted to go look at. And then, and then at the end of the day, when we did that podcast, we were like, there's probably, you know, there's really three spots to hunt. Yes. Now we said it, it, it'll hunt big yes. because there's nobody in those clear cut areas and you have a couple different setups in each of them. So you have multiple setups, but there's really only three areas yeah. in all that 3,400 acres that we found that, that we feel are between access and habitat and terrain where the three places that are likely going to hold, hold bigger deer. Yes. Correct. Right.
3: And, uh. You know, and it's simple if you look at it from a a, a bigger picture. You know, like Dan said, you, you break it down where your access fields, you just pretty much 86 at. You know, you're not really going to hunt that. You might catch a buck and they're slipping from time to time, but odds are most of this daylight movement is going to be nowhere near those spots. Yeah. And we literally went to the furthest, almost to the furthest part of his property, found the wettest, thickest, nastiest stuff, and we found sign and a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you can almost take any property. Mature open hardwoods, I don't even, you know. I mean, if, we
2: breezed through that stuff. Like, we just shot right through yeah, and spent you know, zero time there. Yeah,
3: well, you. And the only it,
2: thing we looked for was sign along the edge of the yes. thicket to see if there was a place where that was like, okay, I just saw a hammer rub. Is there a rub line there that we should follow yes, in? correct. That you know, was and,
3: it. And you can speed scout an area, you know, especially in, in that type of terrain, you, know, you had a lot of diversity. Now, if you're, it's all mature hardwoods. It's open hardwoods for thousands of acres. It's a different story. You know, you gotta you gotta walk down and find it. But if you got cover, heavy brush, heavy dense brush, and browse, then you're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just gravitate right through those areas, and you know whether you find if you find buck sign, great. If not, on to the next piece. You know, there's really nothing worth hunting there.
2: And I think my advice to to people listening to this for this kind of stuff is, you know, because look. I think we've all been guilty of this, of romanticizing an area because it just looks so good and we want it to be good. You know what I mean? It's like we've all been there. It's like you walk into a place, you're like, man, this feels bucky. It should be bucky. Feels bucky. Feels bucky. You know what I mean? I don't know what that means, but it feels (laughs) bucky. (laughs) Um, but, But the more the point being is that like we walk in and you're just like, this just looks like a spot that there should be a good deer. Right. But if the sign isn't there, it's just not there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't waste your time on things you can't validate with like, with, with a visual,
3: yes, right? Exactly. And, big that, tracks, big rubs, you know, a lot of scrapes. There's got to be something that says, hey, bucks come through here quite a bit. Mm-hmm. A single random rub. Mm.
2: And if you're hunting on public, right, there's only going to be a handful of places on a piece, depending on the size and so yes. forth, where that's going to exist because it's going to be the pieces where people aren't willing to go. That's a lot of peas right there. Yeah, people... Places where people aren't willing, yeah, it was a lot of peace. Um, you know, it's going to be all those spots where people can't get to. Yes, you know what I mean, and or that is just too far, or there's water, so which go back to yes. the last piece, right? Water yeah. is cover. Peace, peace. Yeah, another P. Mm. Um, you know, but I think you know it, just, it was just interesting doing this because you and I just went through this and we scouted a lot of area. And we did it pretty quickly. I mean, we yes. started right around like six forty five yep. and we were done by like eleven thirty. Yep. And we yep. hit everything that I think that we both felt was like those are the good areas, those are the good spots. And we
3: and we did a Hail Mary at the end looking for typical Yeah, we one did one third up upper one third buck On One point. It. Yep. It was Poop. Squadoosh. Yeah.
2: You know what I mean? It's like, but the thing is, is like, you got to get out and look at those things. But I think to, you know, Dan's point, it's like, we had those spots picked from a map. Yes. Because we cut out about half of that entire property, saying, like, this isn't going to be any good either from, you know, just, I had been on part of it at one point was like, look, we don't even want to spend any time over there. The only reason we even walked to the fields, knowing full well that we aren't going to hunt any of that stuff, it was more of like, what food is here? Right? Is it a big enough attract that it's actually going to draw deer like mm. from far away? But once we got up into those couple places, like we recognized, yeah, hell no, yeah. there's enough browse here and enough food here that they're they're never having to leave. Yes. You know. So the deer that are actually in the area and where in which we scouted, other than maybe rut making their loop, probably are never going to make it down to that food yeah. source. It just wouldn't make any sense yeah. for them to.
3: Yeah. And if they do, it's you know, long since dark.
2: Oh yeah, way long since dark. If if they're making that move, so when you're looking at these pieces, think about access. Cut out those parts where people are gonna most likely get to. Look with for ease. transitions,
3: edge cover, be it clear cuts, blow downs. You know, use Google Earth and search in the winter time and look for possible thermal cover. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. any anything different that's gonna you know create. Diversity for deer to hang out in.
2: Yep. And prioritize those spots and go to them. Yep. You know what I mean? And don't waste your time walking through.
3: Like I said, if it ain't there, move on. Yeah. You you can't make a buck just magically appear.
2: (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I think a lot of people do that, right? It's like they get to a spot where it's like they want to be and they just want to, they want a buck to be where they want to be. And that's just not how it works. Like you got to, you know, go in and put the miles up. We walked plenty of stuff, you know, that there will never, there will never see a deer in. Yep. You know what I mean today, um, but we found enough good stuff where it's like, okay, this is a worthwhile in, in, endeavor. And out of all that that we walked through, there were three spots yeah. <laughs> that were that were worth hunting. You know, on
3: two two plus thousand acres. Yeah, yeah. So three huntable locations. <laughs> three huntable locations.
2: Now we did say, well, there's multiple setups yes. within that, so we could you could spend a whole season hunting yes. those three locations because just because of the size. But sometimes you might only find three setups worth hunting. Yep. on a piece based on the size how much access there is to it where people are going to be what the habitat is so you know there's there's one piece of public that i know that i hunt that literally i know there's only one setup on it that is it i've walked the entire thing speed scouted all of it there is one spot that i'm willing to go in and hunt and spend a hunt on otherwise yep. i'm not interested in exactly it, you know um and you just got to be willing to to do that it's sometimes hard when you put time in you yes. you know it's like ugh, I just spent a day and a half like or a day scouting this thing and I literally have one tree to get into you know what I mean but if it's the right spot it's the right spot i've
3: I've gone days weeks of scouting basically if you were to stack them together and like that was pretty much just a waste of my time oh yeah I literally I, it's like all right. Yep,
2: I did it a couple of weeks ago. I walked I walked this whole piece and walked right back out. I was actually hunting it. And mm-hmm. I was planning to try to set up for a late season hunt and I walked the whole thing and I was like there's not one spot I want to hunt yeah. that I want to <laughs> hunt this entire place. You know what I mean? And just jumped in the truck yep. and came back home. I mean, I was hunting while I was walking. I was yep. still hunting, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like a setup that yes. had there wasn't anything good enough for me to set up. Exactly. So, all right. So, I think we covered the uh the one spot idea yes that Dan covered so we'll move on to the next we thought we were done with this one yes. but we're going to come back cuz we after gotcha. after we stopped we had had another thought i think you bring up a good a good point it's like it goes back to like doing your e scouting looking yes. at it but people think that when you walk onto these pieces that you're right it's like we could have just as easily been wrong today
3: yes you know you can on, on the paper it looks good and then boots on the ground you pretty much you know your e scouting uh, satellite scouting and boots on the ground they need to be one and the same basically right. you, know, you you can 't have really one without the other and have success right. you know we could have, on, on paper looks great and we walked in and been garbage you know or vice versa. We walk in it 's amazing you look at it from an aerial standpoint you're like this is shit, you know, yeah. but when you walk you're like this is great, so you know what you're seeing from aerial photo. needs to match, you know, what you're seeing in boots on the ground and vice versa. And sometimes it's not the case. You know, sometimes from the air looks great. It's not. You know, sometimes actually when in the woods, it's great and you're seeing things that the aerial photos and top of maps just don't show.
2: Right. And I think a really good point from what we walked through when we were scouting was, you know, um, for example, if we looked at it just sheerly off of access, there might have been some of that we wouldn't even looked at because... There were some old logging roads that were wide open that they clearly were bringing equipment through to, like, you know, to log and stuff like that that are wide enough for anybody to walk through and walk up, Mm -hmm. right, that weren't far from the places that we found that were really good that weren't touched by humans. But those logging roads weren't actually on the maps. Yes. You know what I mean? And so it's some of that stuff that even, like, when you go into it going, like, I'm cutting off everything where I look that I think there is easy access to. You still need to put boots on the ground yeah. and figure out if there's, especially
3: action. if you got timber in the area, because you don't know how old the maps are. If it's fresh logging, old logging, or they might be doing logging in the next year or two. Yeah, you know, so you don't really know until you actually, you know, spend a, a, a few hours in there.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you always have to qual you always have to qualify the the pieces. But that was the piece we left out that we wanted to jump back yes. on and, and make mention. So, Sorry about that. All right, on to the next. All right, we have one more. Uh, with our buddy Dan Enfault here and here we're talking about something that you've probably heard him mention before that you've heard a lot of conversation about, and that is hunting the just off, off wind. So we'll hear what Dan has to say and then we'll discuss.
1: I'm not rocking myself into a tree cause I don't know what the wind's going to be that day. So as I'm getting up there, I'm actually checking the wind with milkweed and I'm not doing it at my truck and I'm not doing it with the the weather station because it changes in terrain, you know, from 100 yards. You know it'll be different so as i'm getting up there i'm checking with milkweed and seeing what the wind's doing and you, you have to have it a little bit off you can't be i mean off by 10 feet or something because you get a little drift over mm-hmm. but you gotta just off wind where he's coming around into the wind and, and you know he, maybe he feels perfectly safe right but you got the wind to your favor actually because it's pulling off to the side
2: all right, so the just off wind. I think for anyone out there that is a newer, newer, or newish hunter, this is probably a, a little a noob, a noob, as I like to refer to myself in certain instances. Um, this this can be a little bit of a maddening topic, right? Yes. Because the whole idea is is that you know you listen to people talk about you know hunting the wind, and you know I think people get the wrong idea that you're looking to have the wind in your favor. Like the classic example is. You know, I'm sitting in my tree and I expect the wind, the deer to come from the north. And so I want a north wind blowing in my face. You know what I mean? Like directly in my face. So, like, he can't scent me, you know? And on occasion, that will work and you will have a deer tailwind, right? Mm -hmm. And that is probably on specific situations where he's coming from a particular area where he has to rock a tailwind at that moment to get to where he's ultimately getting to, right? So it's not like he's going to want to travel with that tailwind all the time. Sometimes it's whenever they're, you know, whenever they have a good visual in front of them, you know, they want that tailwind to check their six as they're walking into bed. Check the six. Check the six, you know. Um, So it's interesting because, you know, I've said in the past that this, you know, the Iowa hunt that I had was killer on many levels for me, not even – you filling a tag out of it, but just like how much I learned on that trip. And one of the biggest things was, is this was like the year finally when like hunting the wind actually finally clicked for me and snapped and made sense, right? Every setup I had was with the wind in mind. And it wasn't that I was hunting the, the perfect wind I was hunting. I, I tried to set up every day, and this was just really the first year that I was able to do it every hunt, even when I was in PA, I did it.
3: Oh, after 18 days straight, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: the uh, but you know, I had great encounters all last year because I was actually giving, was confident enough, I should say, to give the deer the wind, yes, where I was actually giving them the wind and almost sitting a suicidal wind, knowing that it was either going to be killer and I was going to have an encounter or I was going to get busted from Mm -hmm. way far away or they were going to get close and the wind was going to shift and I was going to get screwed. Right. Um, And that was exactly how that hunt played out in October or I'm sorry, in, in, uh, in Iowa where, you know, I won't go through the whole thing, but the final setup that I had for that deer, um, you know, I was expecting to get, I can't remember exactly. I think I was expecting to get some type of North or wait, no, it was a South. What? no southeast wind that was going to switch to southwest and as it was switching to southwest throughout the day where i expected this deer to come from was i was basically going to be all but screwing myself Mm -hmm. he had to come in a particular area for it to work otherwise i was dead you know and so how i kind of framed it was i was riding that wind on a razor's edge to where when he came in on this trail he Our came maiden. in with, yeah, yeah, he came in with the wind, what he thought was directly in his face. And I was cutting the wind, just cornering it just enough mm. to where I had, like Dan was mentioning in that, in that clip, I had like maybe a 10 foot margin of error, right? That he, that if it shifted just a little bit, I was screwed. Yep. And as long as I had a somewhat consistent wind, you know, I was going to be, I was going to be Okay. And look, I had to wind switch a couple of times. Yeah. It was switching out of the east to the to the west and You're gonna have that. You're gonna yeah. have that. And so look, it's not a magic bullet. There were plenty of times during the course of that hunt, if he would have came in ten minutes earlier, I would have been screwed because yeah. I had like two minutes where the wind switched. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's just something you gotta kinda of work with. Like you're constantly dropping milkweed and now, if it's consistently changing on me and screwing me, like I'm going to get down and I'm going to move, yep. right? But I knew that I was just getting some switching because the wind was start, was shifting throughout the day. And I was watching the weather on my phone as I was dropping, dropping milkweed, kind of timing everything. And I knew by 3 o'clock I was going to have that southwest and that it was just going to be direct south enough <clears throat> that the west wasn't going to kill me. Yes. You know what I mean? And and it worked out like a charm. He came in with the nose and his uh, wind in his face, so he thought he got to 15 yards yep. and caught an arrow. Yep. And that was, you know, to me, was how I was kind of, how I was working a, a just off wind. He was rolling, checking for does, right? And I know for you, you know, Greg, I know for you, it's like you're hunting a lot of that whenever you're setting up on beds yes. and stuff too. So, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, let's talk a little bit about that for beds. Yeah, you, you
3: hunt the wind that's best for him not best for you. That's how I take the off wind, and a lot of my, you know, I would say ninety percent of my spots is is straight suicide. I get one shifting wind, the jig is up. But for me, it's the the, the high risk, high reward, because that buck is bedded, you know, in, in a certain location or coming through a certain location for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, he's it's safety, it's cover, and he knows that area. And if you are hunting it, what's best for you? Odds are he's not coming through there. Right. You know, and I remember back in the day reading Miles Keller you know writing about that you know you 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 hunt the wind that's for the deer not for you and that means setting up on a blip on a trail or blow down where he has to go through something and that's where you set up that's that off wind where he said your little 10 foot margin of error that sometimes that's all you got and that's the reason he's coming through there because he knows it's safe he knows he can come through here and he's been smelling this all day but you're Just, you know, if if the tempter drops a little too fast, you're busted. You know, if the wind shifts at the wrong time, you're busted. But high risk equals high reward. Right.
2: And I think it's interesting what you pointed out, because I left this out, but it was an important part of my setup, was, like, you're talking about using some obstacles to, like, understand where he's going to come through that sets you up to to have that off wind. And that was what I did, where I had a draw to my back, where I knew if they were trying to come down that area, in that, you know, in that draw to scent check anything, they were going to have to expose themselves because it was open. Yep. And I was like, they're not going to want to do that. Especially an right. older deer, you know, the deer and, that
3: you're targeting. You're going to Iowa to target, you know, right. you're, you're targeting four or five. You right. know, or
2: And and also, I knew, like, I had bumped the deer, I had bumped the buck, and I think it was the same buck, out of his bed in that area the day before when I was scouting yep. it. And so, I had made the assumption that he felt safe in there. Yeah. Right. And so coming in there, he wasn't going to be on super high alert necessarily because that's a safe spot for him. And I knew he wouldn't want to expose himself. And so I set up with that draw to my back with that wind that was just kind of blowing, blowing toward him, knowing that he didn't want to come too far to the, you know, I guess toward the tree that I was in because it gets kind of open. But all the thick stuff was over where he was going to end up walking through and the wind was blowing in that direction. So he was like, eh, I don't need to walk all the way over there because I already got everything from the wind that I need, I can just walk right in. And that was his fatal mistake was, was that he would have been better off exposing himself in that draw. I had less of a shot opportunity there and he probably, and he would have, he would have nailed me right away. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But otherwise he came in where he had the cover, felt like he had the wind. Yeah. And and that was it.
3: You know, you can be as, as set conscious of you as you want. And Dan's not, you know, Mm -hmm. other people are, but hunting off wind, whether you're, Conscious of your scent you know or not is critical because that deer especially older deer they're traveling you know as safe as possible even yep. during the rut yep. especially in you know maybe not so much in iowa as as in here like higher pressure areas because i've watched mature deer you know will not move out of thick cover even if that the, happened to me the, yeah, the day before too even before if the that. wind's garbage did they, they will literally they will just stop and freeze and stay in cover if that wind shifts they at least want to be in cover if he exposed himself and that wind shifts and it's not in his favor, you know, he's putting himself in danger, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what they don't, you know, if they're going to break cover, that that wind better be 100% for him, and even yeah. that's even, you know, sketchy at best. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, a good example of that is literally two days before that, when that deer that I missed twice, when I, I kept having <coughs> multiple, <laughs> multiple encounters with him. He came to that, I think I told you, I know I mentioned on the podcast, yeah. but he came to that little knoll at the edge of that draw whenever I was in a different tree setup, mm-hmm. and I was hunting just off the wind for an area that I thought he was going to come out of to my left, right? Well, he ended up coming out to my right, right? And that was where I didn't want him basically to, to come mm-hmm. out, right? That was the one spot that I was giving up because I was like, well, he's going to feel like he has the wind on this trail, but really I'm set up pretty yeah. good for it. The only way I'm gonna get screwed is if he comes out a little high yep. above me, right? And the couple of encounters I had with him, he never did that. But that was me watching a mature deer learn mm-hmm. how he was going to use the wind there, because yep. he just stopped there, and he didn't he didn't get me right away, and he just kind of sat there and licked his nose. You know, he knew and, something was up. Yeah, yeah. He
3: caught up just a, just enough fresh human scent. He was like. All right, somebody's been in here. Let me just re 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 reevaluate this.
2: He would not come a step further. And what I basically realized was that little knoll. That was when I realized he lived there. Was because he knew if he stood there long enough, the wind would swirl Mm -hmm. and it would it would pull up. Pull just enough scent up to him, and and plus
3: those deer also. I mean, those older bucks, even smart younger deer, three year old, four year old, they. Are learning too. If they catch a whiff of human scent they never caught before, he's trying to interpret that for his own safety, so he's getting gathering all that data. Like, all right, I caught human scent here. Why? So he's processing all these things at the same time, right? You know, and if he comes back in there again, all right, I caught human scent here, over here this time. And he's just analyzing data like we do, you know, mm-hmm. and he's just you know processing yeah. things for his. He's learning as as we're learning. And yeah.
2: that was what I watched, like with the multiple encounters. Mm-hmm. Like he he started changing his behavior. As and sometimes it's not much.
3: Ahead. A lot of people think, you catch a human scent, the deer's going to run the next county over. They might only go ten cha- foot.
2: He changed literally fifteen yards. Yep. 10, his, his, his entry point like, yep. into that area was 15 yards different, yep. and, and but it was thicker. Not,
3: yep, it's not much, and people think, oh, I, I bumped there, he caught my scent. He's long gone. Not necessarily, you right. know, if that's, especially if that's his core area. You know, he feels safe there. He knows every inch, square inch of that. He knows, all right, I got here, I got to go over here because it's a safer, thicker cover. Right.
2: So I think the moral of the story here is is that, you know, you want to hunt the wind that's right for the deer yes. and almost wrong for you yes. is is really what is really what the take and that's is. a hard
3: thing to do for people to accept.
2: Yeah, it it is and I, and I'll be honest, like I it, it was until this year it took me to like fully commit to it yes. to where I was going. You know what? I'm going to probably blow some hunts because of this, but it's also going to be probably the reason why I mm-hmm. kill yep. you know why I fill a tag. Yes, and it was a hundred percent. 100 percent it i mean if you listen to any of these guys whether it's you know greg or whether it's dan or whether it's you know cody dequisto or whoever it's like there's always moments when they get when they get winded because they're the reason why they're killing deer is because they're running that wind on a razor's edge because they're especially some of these guys that are hunting like really really mature deer it's like they have to do that or although or they'll never see them exactly you know what i mean it's just like the
3: and it's not it's you know, a lot of people think it's aggressive it's not aggressive if you know what you're doing right you know there's a big difference between being dumb and being aggressive right you know there uh, calculated aggressiveness is will always win in the end you right. know it might take a few sits or a few seasons but it's going to it's going to pay deal. off yes
2: All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you've not yet, hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel as well. And before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Dumb Leaf USA Boots, and Day6 Specialized Gear. And until next time... We'll see y'all.